This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Oh, God. I guess this was my fault. That's what I'm thinking. Maybe I just didn't explain the nest egg well enough. If you had understood, you know, it's a very sacred thing, the nest egg. And if you had understood the nest egg principle, as we will now call it, in the first of many lectures that you will have to get, because if we are to ever acquire another nest egg, we both have to understand what it means. The egg is a protector like a god, and we sit under the nest egg, and we are protected by it. Without it, no protection. Want me to go on? It pours rain. Hey, the rain drops on the egg and falls off the side. Without the egg, wet, it's over. But you didn't understand it, and that's why we are where we are. I understood the nest egg. Please do me a favor. Don't use the word. You may not use that word. It's off limits to you. Only those in this house who understand nest egg may use it, and don't use any part of it either. Don't use nest, don't use egg. If you're out in the forest, you can point the bird lives in a round stick. And, and, and you have things over easy with toast. Oh, gee. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to give you a small punishment before lunch, and I'd like to have you write a thousand times on the pavement. I lost the nest egg. Come on, I lost the nest egg. Say it first. Say it 500 times. I lost the nest egg. 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 I'm starting it for you. You jump in anywhere. I lost the nest egg. 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 And let me tell you something. That's not how you drop out anyway. If you're really going to drop out, you drop out with nothing. Oh, you do. Well, where did you read that? The Las Vegas guy? I didn't read it. Friends told me. People who know. You don't know anybody who knows. You don't know anybody who ever dropped out except for us. What are you talking about? Well, the movie you're basing your whole life on, Easy Rider, they had nothing. They had no nest egg. Bullshit. They had a giant nest egg. They had all this cocaine. That's not true. It is true. Linda, they sold cocaine. Okay, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. I'm not going to stand here in front of one of the great wonders of the world and argue about an old movie. I'll go back inside. If you figure out some plan to make 800 bucks last a lifetime, knock on the door. I'll be in there. Hi, 
everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. The premise of the show is that Mike and I watch movies separately and talk about them for the first time. We have gone through a string, Mike, of, of really, really buzzkill movies. Great movies, right? We've done we've done The French Connection. We've done Sorcerer. We did The Vanishing. And now, you know, in the program notes, we say we're due for some comedy. So that's what we're working on now. Today, we're doing a comedy that I've seen a million times. And of course, when Mike said he had never seen it, I instantly started harassing him and texting him and saying, we got to watch us for the pod. So, Mike, what movie are we doing today? Lost in America. Lost in America, 1995, 1985, sorry, directed by Albert Brooks, written by Brooks and Monica Johnson, who's written other movies with him. I have this movie pretty much memorized. When I joined the VHS you know, by mail club, this was one of the first like six VHS tapes I got for a penny. And I pretty much just played it on a loop. So in part one, we always talk about what we think about the movie overall. And if you pick, the other guy goes first. So Mike, you go first. This movie is unbelievably hilarious, but it's it's it would be difficult to categorize exactly what makes it funny. Uh, there's There's some kind like... I think what the movie does well is it immerses you into moments where another screenwriter would promise to rescue you and there's nobody coming, right? You you watch the opening credit scene and it's kind of crawling up the stairs um, where David and Linda are and you're just listening to Larry King. Rick Reed, which is so funny that that's how funny is he's listening to that. Do the, do the interviews uh, and there's there's nobody coming to save you, right? What the audience thinks when you see that scene is you think to yourself, surely they're going to bail out or there's some kind of punchline and there's absolutely no punchline. And it, it, this movie just reminds you of conversations and situations that occur in life. And you think to yourself halfway through them, I guess I just have to live through this right now. And that's what, that's really what the movie is. And the movie teaches you to think about those realizations as punchlines and then applies them to a bunch of different situations. Nobody could hang a movie quite like uh, Albert Brooks. And then I imagine that the immense courage it takes to then be the guy who's going to, in a way, hold the scenes together, right? I could imagine writing it and then passing it to somebody funny to say, make this funny. I couldn't imagine writing it and going, I'll do it. Right. You have to have some sense of yourself as a comedian, as an actor to do this, right? Because you could put it on paper and then say, all right, but I'll give this to somebody who's really funny and they'll, turn, you know, I'll, I'll make Eddie Murphy be the guy. And just by being Eddie Murphy, walking around and being funny, he'll be able to do it. But of course, what you said is so true because what makes this funny, what makes anything as funny is hard to articulate, right? If you show somebody something you think is funny and they don't laugh, you, all you can say is, well, like, what's the matter with you? Like, what, what do you mean you don't think the Holy Grail is funny? It's the funniest movie ever. And you start saying, well, the Black Knight and the Killer Rabbit. And someone says, I don't know, I just didn't think it was funny. Like, you're done. You, 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 you can't go any further. The jokes about this are not like the jokes in the Holy Grail or Airplane or other movies we might think are funny. I think that the jokes are that... When we watch The Apartment, that The Apartment is about how a nebbish becomes a mensch, right? This movie is about how a nebbish tries to break the mold that he can't and goes back to being a nebbish, but it immerses you into that guy's head, kind of like how Billy Wilder does with Jack Lemmon, right? Is that you get immersed into the sensibility of this guy and that everything that David starts to think, you're kind of like on his side. So little things that tee him off, like when Julie Haggerty says at the dam, she goes, you know what? We'll just split the remaining $800 in half. I think that's the fair thing. And he's like, the fair thing, the fair thing. Because that's exactly what you would do in an argument. Like you would hang on to these little things. And then he says, I'm going to give you a little punishment before lunch. I want you to write a hundred times on the pavement. I lost the nest egg. I lost the nest egg. You're 
you're laughing at him and with him at the same time. And I think that that's very, very hard to do in 90 minutes is to get you inside somebody's head that deep. And it's just, you you gotta be careful what you ask for, right? They ask for the honeymoon suite. You don't get it, right? She she says, oh, I'm not I'm not fulfilled in life. I wish we were more adventurous, right? He says, I I quit. But what but what right, what you think to yourself is surely something will happen that will bail me out of these situations. Right. Surely, even if I get what I asked for, there's got to be some kind of dash of reasonableness in life that's that's gonna pull it out. But it never arrives in this movie. And I think the movie is very much about waiting for it to happen, right? Even when you're in the first 40 minutes of the movie and she's already gambled it all away and they're going to the dam, you think to yourself, okay, something happens at the dam that's gonna re-give the movie its structure, right? Surely the screenwriters are gonna pull me out of this and nobody is coming to rescue you. And there's little things leading up to that. Like when he has the bellhop go into the room and they see the two beds and he's like, uh, isn't this the honeymoon suite? And the guy's like, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And he says, does this room connect to another room? And he's like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And he says to the guy trying to get the room, like how much, I'm not good at this. Like how much do I have to give you? And the guy's like a hundred dollars is that he's ill-equipped for the kind of life he wants to live. He thinks he is when they're doing the tally sheet. I love that. He's like, look, we have all this money left over. We can kind of do this thing right he thinks he can do it but he's too much of a fish out of water yeah and i i think ultimately that's that's in a way not to be cliche but that's what adult life is right you've seen you've seen so many comedies by the time you get to lost in america you think i know what this is i yeah. I've, I've seen this a hundred times but this movie reinvents for you what it actually is and it's funny because you have expectations of the way that other comedies play Right. And we all know that that comedy and drama come from defying expectations. But and it but it does that without really acknowledging your expectations, which is really what life does. Right. You, you say, I've seen this before. I saw my I saw my parents run a household. So how hard could it possibly be? Right. And then you, and then you run one and nothing is what you ordered. Yeah, you think they're going to go on wacky adventures or something. And But I think that's a very, I think that for where David and his wife are in life, it's very understandable that they would want to do this. Like he's set up for the promotion. It goes away. And I love that. I want my eight years back. I want my youth back. I'm staying here. It's like, you know, everyone said I was the best man. I am the best man. Phil Shabano is the groom. I'm the best man. So we kind of laugh. He, and he's kind of like a George Costanza guy there. We kind of laugh at his frustrations, but we understand why they want to break away or drop out of societies he says so we keep thinking my joke is we keep thinking there's a world elsewhere there's no world elsewhere he goes he goes to his california life but it's just relocated i love at the end when they're driving the the enormous thing that they live in through the streets of manhattan trying to park outside the office building and he gets a spot welcome back so of course in part two we talk about our key scenes or favorite moments um i'm not sure there are key scenes in this movie so but there's probably favorite moments what's your favorite moment well all the favorite moments i think have to do with each other and i'm my favorite moment is when he goes to the employee agency and he meets that guy and he wants a job and he says i don't have anything you'd be interested in and he says don't you have a box of like higher paying jobs of white collar jobs and the guy says oh you must mean the hundred thousand dollar box and just starts laughing at his face 
that's great because the whole movie is structured around Albert Brooks trying to be logical with people who are like, who is this guy? It's the same as the scene with Gary Marshall, but he's going, the desert in has heart. The boldest thing in advertising, he's in his bathrobe, by the way, the boldest move in advertising, you give us our money back. And Gary Marshall's like, no, they want to hunt to go to Wisconsin. That's what they call it gambling, Las Vegas gambling. And even when he deals with the kids on the bike, he's trying to be the crossing guard. The whole movie is, is, Albert Brooks trying to impress himself on other people who don't care who he is and we care who he is and we kind of find him funny but the world doesn't care that that you used to work for eight years in this firm and two years in this firm and he's just trying to impose that on the world and the world doesn't care and his frustration is is our delight he says the name of the firm like a hundred yeah, times yeah. and they get, you know, they, they've got the Ford account. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Nobody, because we have, they have Ford now and nobody cares. Yeah. So he interacts with people like that through the whole movie. What's your moment? Uh, my moment is when uh, the, his wife has told him that she found a management position. So he thinks everything's going to be okay. And he gets back and assistant it, she's, manager. The, she's the assistant manager at their Schnitzel, and, and her manager, who's a 19 year old named uh, Skippy comes out of the bathroom. And while they're talking, he, event, he, he basically says, I need to sidebar with my wife. And they're, they're in the RV and there's like barely room for the three of them. So while they're having a conversation about him going to beg for his job back, uh, Skippy puts on the Flintstones and all you can hear is the opening lines of the theme song and he's in front of the nine inch television which i i I don't i'm not exactly sure why that's so funny uh but i'm really really glad that they thought of the flintstones well, I think it's so funny when he explains to her how, you know, we had the, uh, the French fries in the fryer and they still had like ice crystals on them and whatnot. And then and then uh, she figured it out. And Albert Brooks says, well, he, as a joke, trying to be a wise guy, he says, yeah, that's why I married her. And Skippy, of course, says, that's why I hired her. <laughs> that's why I hired her. So so now Albert Brooks realizes he is toe to toe on the same level as Skippy. And that's kind of his moment where it's like, yeah, we have to get out of here. So welcome back. I know we could just go on and say, wasn't that scene funny? It wasn't that scene funny? Because that's kind of how I respond to this movie. But in part three, we talk about the end of the title. Mike, what do you got? I think what really works about this movie is somehow its form still matches its content. And so it's it's got funny moments. But I think what's actually going on here is just like the characters ask for freedom, right? And w- what they actually get is freedom, right? They, they get what I was talking about before. Nobody's coming to save you. There's no rules. I don't know, you figure it out. And I think that that's very much the way that this movie operates. It continually kind of throws the ball at the audience and says, I don't know, you figure it out, right? You want to be in this movie? Great. If not, it goes on for another 30 minutes. You know, I I don't care. I'm not concerned, right? And I, I think that there's the Hollywood formula and even the contemporary Hollywood formula is a continuous concern for the audience, trying to figure out things for the audience. But it's essentially what turns into condescension. I think one of the reasons that people don't don't like very highly stylized or formalized movies sometimes or contemporary movies is because it's all set up so that the audience can feel reaffirmed in their beliefs or people repeat information in a way that they would never do in real life or things have to end in some kind of settled direction. Why? So the audience doesn't get upset. So maybe they'll see this movie again. And I think the concern for the audience is, is like daycare. It's like stifling, right? So what you what you ask for is, I don't know, a movie where I don't know anything, 
right? And yeah. that's what and that's what this delivers. And some people are going to like it, and some people are not. But it's it's ultimately it's the the feeling of freedom, right? You say, well, I'm stifled with form around me. It's like, okay, well, try chaos a little bit and see how you like that. And I, I think that they do a they do a brilliant job of having the movie be propelled, but without anything necessarily propelling it right there there's no there's no adventure nobody raises the stakes except that they lose their right they they lose their money right that this film this film would never pass muster in a traditional screenplay no check way. if you if you turned it in right the guy leading your seminar would hand it back to you and tell you to do a redraft but albert brooks says no i can make this work yeah because the the, the person that handed it back to you for the redraft would say there's got to be um an epiphany there's got to be a moment. There's got to be a cathartic moment. They have to talk to each other. They have to address the viewer's concern. And all that happens in the movie is he said, I have a plan. And she goes, what? And he goes, I go back to New York and eat shit. And she goes, yeah. And he's like, oh, that's my plan. <laughs> and it's that's it. That's their moment after Skippy leaves. And it's funny what you said about freedom, because a friend of mine just went from a job that was kind of easy to a job that was much harder. And I said, how you doing? He goes, this new job is a real taste of reality. And I don't like what reality tastes like. So reality is out there on the road. We're going to be free. Like what I love when he, they first start and he's like, I, when she brings the grilled cheese out of the microwave, how long did this take with browning elements? You know, uh, 30 seconds? Because I've never really tasted melted cheese. I've never really tasted it. So in the beginning, he thinks he's Emerson. He thinks he's, you know, he's Thoreau. He's going to go out and be this non conformist right but at the end he he is so conforming and i love that what makes him conform is when he's the crossing guard and he smells the leather inside the mercedes and he says to the guy is that leather and the guy's like yeah of course because in the beginning he's talking about the mercedes leather to the guy he's like a bloodhound so it, i think the title is funny because he's i mean they get lost you know geographically in america they don't know where to live they have to pull into the to the place in Arizona, but he's, you know, he, he's philosophically lost for a while, but at the end, you know, he realizes, you know, you, you can't change the, the, the spots on the leopard and he gets out, they find the parking spot in New York and he's like, Brad, Brad. And he, and he starts running after him. And, and this film celebrates that it plays Sinatra as they drive back across the country. So it's a perfect return. 44,000 is a lot for a car. It's not a car, sir. It's a Mercedes. Mercedes. And I, I think I think what is ultimately nonconformist about this movie is maybe maybe not its maybe not its celebration, but its acceptance of yeah. the conformity of American right. life. Right. It's it's actually it's it's the opposite of uh born to be wild, right? It's it's or easy it's rider. As, right. It's, always talking it's, about easy rider. It's the opposite of easy rider, right? right. You, you say no. If if you tried it, right, you would go back to your job. In fact, you would you would do whatever it is right. that they told you because ultimately kind of getting along, getting along with your wife is better. And I think that that's act, that, right. That's actually a, a pretty bold message uh, for for a movie because people applaud you. Right. People. If you told people ah, watch this one. Right. If you told people, no, I'm going to break away. What they would do is they would throw you a party right with the booze and they would toast you. Right. And they're they're celebrating them. It's like they're at their own funeral because to their group of friends, they're about to go die, and the friends have no idea what to do. Why? Because ultimately, they're going to end the party, go back to their own house, and go to work on Monday, and that's what they're going to do. Yeah, and the recycling still comes on Thursday, and that's just kind of how the way it is. So those people are supposed to be applauded, right? People watch these shows. Like you ever see like the Tiny House Movement? You ever see this thing? Like people are like, oh, it's a great way. Again, I'm going to be like Thoreau. I'm going to downsize. Like, really? Okay, well, then you have to get rid of like all your books. Okay, let's get rid of like half your books. No, but these are like, I can't get rid of these, right? So we we, we all we all buy um, 
or we buy to some degrees into this idea about minimalism and like decluttering and all this stuff. Okay. I, I really, I'm really into decluttering. All right. Start throwing stuff out, start giving stuff away. Start. Okay. Well, how about we start with, how about we start with your stuff? Everybody loves the idea of having an RV and going across the country, but like, how long could you really sustain that? You know what this is a comedy version of? It's a, I just thought of this. It's a comedy version of the shining. Why does Jack Torrance want to become the caretaker? Because he wants to do his new writing project. Right, exactly. And he's, they say, no, I think six months of solitude up here is just what I need. So, but we, as you and I send that episode, the one thing he doesn't have is the talent. So he's got the typewriter and he's got the setting and he's got the big office and no one can bother him, right? But I'm really not cut out for this. And that's a nightmare version of Lost in America. Yeah, if you, if you think you'd never break through the door with an ax and threaten your family, you should idle for a, a second at the drive-through in Colorado. And Albert Brooks, of course, he, he escapes that vision before he breaks down the door of the trailer and goes after Julie Haggerty. So thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Lost in America. We pulled some wild, wild connections there, Mike. You can follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could follow us on Letterboxd. Follow us on Letterboxd. And I just realized, Mike, this would be a very good double feature with The Shining. It would. <laughs> you should call the movie house in Princeton. Here's Albert. <laughs>